1: Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Stop, drop and rally as bond yields fall. Stocks head higher from builders to banks, from industrials to big parts of tech, a dovish Fed and a treasury tumble, a powerful combo for the markets. Can investors trust this formula for a real rebound? Plus. Soda Pop, Pepsi climbing on the back of strong earnings, a hike to its full year forecast and continued pricing power. Will their move deliver the jolt that helps the struggling staples recover? And later, what's behind the two-day bounce at Bank of America? Why Rivian shares are all revved up today? And inside the results for LVMH has a luxury spending slowdown arrived. I'm Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ. On the desk tonight, Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with a sizable market move since Friday's lows. The S&P, which fell below 42.20 after the latest jobs report rallied another half a percent today, is now up more than 3% from the Friday bottom. The Dow is nearly 900 points higher. And take a look at Treasuries. The bond market was closed yesterday, but yields on the 10-year dropped 16 basis points today, its biggest pullback since March. The move's coming amid... Some more dovish talk out of the Fed today. Atlanta Fed President uh, Rafael Bostic today adding to the chorus of officials like Dallas's Lori Logan and Vice Chair Philip Jefferson yesterday suggesting the central bank may be done raising rates. Rate-sensitive sectors getting a boost from those comments, from retail to builders to even the recently struggling utilities, all higher in today's trade. So does this set the stage for a market rally into year-end? Guy. I pause because I know the answer. But How really, do you know the answer? Because I know you and I'm in true. your head. You are in my head. But if rates do come down, I mean, that does seem to, in recent you know history, In recent
2: past, lower the, rates the, are supported with yeah, stocks. And the, the question light. then is, why are rates going lower? I mean, part of the reason could be what we're seeing now, obviously, geopolitically overseas, flight to quality in the form of bond yields. In, no, without question. I'll say this, and I was talking to Dan earlier today. We play the game. If you had told me. If you had told me last week what would have transpired over the weekend, I would have been horrified. But I would have said, you know what, Mel, rates are going to be significantly lower in the back of that, not 4.65 percent in a 10-year. Closer to 4445, and we're not. So, the fact that rates move lower makes sense. The fact that they didn't meaningfully move lower is somewhat problematic, I think, especially when we have some inflation numbers coming
3: out. Yeah, week. and they don't make any sense in the context of the economic data that we've seen. So, since Friday morning, when you look at that jobs report, if you look at the CPI that we're looking forward to, it's expected to be 3.6%. I know a lot of us were, you know, thought that we would see that 9% print for what was it, June or July of 2022 get cut in half at some point. That was going to be transitory, but I guess really, I guess the story of the data that we're having right now, we spent a lot of time last night. We had that great conversation with Bill Simon on the consumer there, and he had actually some trepidation about the consumer. But a lot of the data suggests that those inflationary pressures are sticky. Guy, you were calling it what, pesky and persistent? Pesky and persistent. that was you last year, and it it has proven to be that way. So I just don't know how the Fed can be meaningfully dovish in face of some of the data that we are seeing. they have been
1: dovish. They've been dovish just yesterday. They were dovish today. Not not, so the, they
3: not all dumb. of the Fed. I, I, you're, no, talking about
4: true, Chair you're talking about Chair Powell. You're talking about Chair Powell. as an institution, Steve. No, no, I, I get it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm helping you. I'm on the yeah, same okay, side. Good, yeah. good. So, yeah,
5: yeah. So, it doesn't even sound like you're on the same side. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, when
4: we agree, we disagree. <laughs> yeah. So when you look at rates, though, rates are up 84 basis points from August 1st. That is screaming higher. Those are overdone. So we could say any reason why they're backing off, they're backing off. It's bullish there's always when you say recent past there's always a inverse correlation to rates and the equity market they've just been so low for so long that we never really realized the correlation was still on so when you say what's that geopolitical we're all nervous market earnings maybe financials are going to have a headwind on them but i said it on friday the 10-year did the lifting for the fed They'll never, to your point or Dan's point, whichever I agreed with, they're never going to say they're done. Never. Doesn't behoove them to say they're done because then inflation creeps in again. If inflation creeps in again, inflation has been falling. What's been sticky? Wages have been sticky. Unemployment is low. Wages going up. People have jobs. The market's okay.
1: They also have a lot of savings. There are a number of banks re- reacting to revised government data, which shows that there's actually more savings at households than previously anticipated. City now saying more than a trillion um, in savings still that consumers have, which... Would be good for a soft landing.
5: It would. It, it, it's uh, there seems to be a lot of noise then around where the consumer really, where the consumer's right. balance sheet really is. They're employed, which is good. Um, we are seeing a number of, you know, in the auto space, the auto workers. They're going to have decent. Whatever they settle on, ultimately, will be a decent More. price hike right? But I still think I've, I've been surprised at how much the markets moved, how quickly. I do think it could all go away with a bad number tomorrow, and particularly Thursday CPI, um, that will just reverse what we've seen. Because I think some of it was we were down so much in such a short amount of time that a bounce back. I don't know if this fits into your Fibonacci or 50 percent retracement so from that down.
2: What? Fibonacci. It was a great man. We studied together.
5: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Galileo was in the other, the other <laughs> class. Yeah.
2: Advanced class. <laughs> it's interesting. We had mentioned, four, I thought 41.90 was a logical place. Stephen mentioned that as well in terms of levels would find support. We got down to 42.35. To your point, markets rallied almost 4% since those lows we made, I think, sometime last week. What is it rallied on? Certainly not fundamentals. An oversold condition, a lot of people have talked about that. We've worked that off to a certain degree. Fundamentals aren't getting better. And again, yes, rates have backed off a little bit. Rates are still higher, and this re-steepening of the yield curve historically is not really a good thing. We're seeing that all happen right before our eyes. And if Karen's right, if you get a hot number, which, you know, the calendar suggests we will, last quarter, last month's uh, inflation numbers
3: started to trend higher. I think that will continue. Fed's in a bit of a box here. So, these guys just said the bounce wasn't really fundamental. It was based on technicals. We had that uptrend coming from the October low in the S&P 500 with that breakout level, that horizontal line, if you just can picture it in your head, at 4,200 or so. You had the rising 200-day moving average. They all converged last week at that spot where they bounced now three and a half, four percent 4% or so. I can draw another line, though. And, and if you look at that chart right there that the team put up there, you can draw a line from the recent highs, and you can see that it's actually connecting a series of lower highs there. So we're, we're reaching a technical Level in the not so distant future here, where it's going to be a sort of moment of truth. We're either going to break out to the upside and go back towards those prior highs. This is how you started the conversation. How do we close the year? And, and really, ultimately, though, it will come down to fundamentals. We're going to be in the in the throes of Q3 earnings. We're going to see what sort of visibility a lot of companies have right here. I suspect a lot of the things that we've heard from financials uh-huh. and from consumer related companies over the last month or a half is not going to actually speak to a lot of visibility. Can I ask in Q4? a Q4, of course, it's your and show. That's a mm-hmm. question because I can yes. ask whatever
1: I want. Mm-hmm. if I told you that the, that the year the treasury yields will end at four point two five percent higher where will equities be
2: that 's a great question. I mean, just in that vacuum alone, you would think it would be higher. Yes. Why are rates going to four and a quarter? What broke to get tenure yields down to four and a quarter percent?
4: right, but, but look, look, look at how we all started this conversation and we 've been revolving around this conversation. We thought on Friday that rate cuts were off the calendar for for 2024. Now they're pulled forward. A third of the respondents think that you're going to have a rate cut in March. So, to Guy's point, why would they be cutting because things are so bad? The market doesn't care. It's agnostic.
5: Well, which rates are you saying? Are you saying that the 10 year yield? Okay. I mean, you could count a few scenarios that aren't terrible, which is oil does trade down. It's It's already backed off a lot, inflation does moderate. And maybe the unemployment rate ticks up a little, not a disastrous amount, but just a little bit to cool things down.
1: Is that a scenario that you see happening or is that an unlikely scenario? Because that's basically threading the needle.
5: I'm always optimistic because I'm always long. So you have to be. Otherwise, you just it's a miserable life. But I think (laughs) I I could see that happening. Uh, That wouldn't surprise me. I don't know if it's the most likely outcome. But you guys, guys, did you see the
4: CTA data that that this is the most short people have been? It's it's in the it's in the 96th percentile short equities. equities. When was the last time 96 percent of the market was right? Was right. Right. They're always the wrong side of the boat. So everyone it's very easy to be short the market. It's very easy to be negative the market. There's a host of reasons why we should be negative. Yeah. And unfortunately, the market keeps rallying for the bears. Yeah,
3: If I'm just looking at the tea leaves, though, I'm looking at it through the lens of the stock market underneath, let's say, the major indices, which we know are driven by, you know, 10 stocks or so, 10 stocks that make up 25 percent of the S&P 500, 10 stocks that make up 50 percent of the NASDAQ 100. Aside from that, if you look at retailers, you look at banks, you look at transports, you look at, I mean, the list, industrials, you, the list goes on and on. They were all in correction to, to tell Territory. They're all telling you something, or at least investors were voting with their feet. So when I hear data about CTAs and the, and the like here, you know, the markets are so much more complex, Steve. You know this as well as anybody. Yeah. A lot of that data um, could be, you know, they could be hedges, you know what I mean, against sure. long positions, that sort of thing. So I, I just know, I don't think percentile. of it as a 96 percentile saying that they're all voting well, that the, the market's the, going I'll, lower. I'll leave, it's I'll leave it
4: up. with this. The equal weight S&P actually outperformed the market. Yeah, but the equal weight today. S&P
3: went down on the year last week. You know,
4: well, you, know what, you know what happens. We've we all been the around the markets for 30 years. What happened? Maybe may a little, a little, little less longer for, for Guy, a so little yeah. less for you. Yeah. So when, you, when either, either one of two things happen, seven stocks lift the rest and everything get, catches up or everything goes down. Well, there are also
3: going to be the seven stocks that lead the market lower when we actually go down 20%. Hundred, 100%. So it's, like, good, I, that's, it's good
4: news that the equal weight is catching up, although it would be a very small
1: data point. Let's get to our guest now. He is known for predicting the 2008 housing <laughs> market crash. And now big short investor Steve Eisman is homing in on the banks. The group kicks off earnings season this Friday. Steve joins us now. He's a senior portfolio manager at Newberger Berman. Steve, always great to see you. What Thanks for having me. You said? Um, you've said before, not too long ago, like two weeks ago, banks are completely uninvestable. I think you came on our show, too, the last time and said the same thing. Um, do you still see that? And what are you looking specifically for in earnings at this point? Um, is it what what makes them uninvestable at this point?
0: Well, let's start with the conclusion. They're still uninvestable. Okay. We could go to the next topic if you like, but if we'll stick <laughs> with this topic, um the problems are net interest margins are still under pressure. There are about two trillion in excess deposits in the system that are going to continue to gradually lead. Um so estimates are still probably too high. You've got the regulators fighting, as I like to say, the generals fighting the last war. They're increasing the capital requirements of the banks when really what they need to do is just improve the liquidity of the mid cap and small cap banks. And so that'll hurt um, returns next year. And I mean, I have no prediction about there being a recession at all. As of now, there's no data, but let's assume there is one you haven't had a credit cycle yet. So what would, the only reason to um, invest in banks is that they're, they're cheap but th- there's one thing I've learned in all in my career and I've only had to learn this the hard way multiple times is investing in something just because it's cheap is a value trap and shorting something just because it's expensive is a death wish so I'll be on the calls and then Thankfully, the weekend will start, so people won't be all, all that depressed about it.
1: <laughs> um, you're also not optimistic, if I can put it that way, about the consumer.
0: Is that a. a oh, that's game? not fair. That's not true at all. Oh, it's not. Okay. You've got wrong information.
1: Okay. <laughs> you, you like the consumer where they stand. It's not that
0: I, I, don't, I like the consumer. I mean, in terms of the overall health of the economy, the consumer is fine. The consumer has savings, the consumer is employed, the consumer has income. So it's not a data point in terms of there being a recession. Where where I think you could be negative is just that, you know, rates are a lot higher. It's more expensive to buy a house, it's more expensive to buy a car, it's more expensive to people finance something, it's more expensive to put a solar panel on your house. So any part of the economy that requires, that's involved with the consumer buying something that also requires it to be financed, has problems. Mm-hmm. That's not nece- That's not an indictment of the consumer, that's just a mathematical fact.
1: So are you positioned to reflect that, in other words, are you short any of the? Well, I don't short for clients okay, anymore. You
0: but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't own home builders right now. I mean, they've had a great run, um, but, he, but the the home builders have been subsidizing their customers with lower rates. But even that's going to bite. You know, I wouldn't be involved with building products to any significant degree on the residential side. You know, I don't think you should buy you know, somebody who finances new cars or used cars, etc., anything in that universe, I think, is just going to have trouble just because of simple math. I mean, I did this calculation when rates, when mortgage rates were 7 percent. Now they're 8. But when they were 7, for you to buy somebody out out of a house where they have a 3 percent mortgage, for you to have the same monthly payment, the house price had to be down 40 percent. So now it's 50. Wow. Um, That's just math. Mm -hmm. Now, no one's going to sell their house down at all if they have a job. They just won't move. So the housing market is locked. Um, people can't buy and they can't sell. Now, you know, the housing market is not nearly as important a part of the economy as it was in 2008. It doesn't help the economy. But, you know, I'm surprised as everybody else that the economy is as strong as it is. You have to respect it.
5: So you're talking about the consumer. You think the consumer is in OK shape <laughs> but isn't able to do the things that they've been doing in the last couple of years, buy cars. Less of it. Right, less of it. So ultimately, how do you think that stalemate resolves? Do they continue to not buy those things? I think they continue
0: to not buy those things. And rebuild
5: their sort of savings and then ultimately spend again or just... Yeah,
0: I think that's probably what happens. I mean, you know, like I said, you would have thought, given what's gone on with rates at this point, that the economy would be in a recession. And not only are we not in a recession, we're not even close to a recession. So, look, I'm not an economist... I think everybody should have a little humility at this point about predicting recessions. You know, I, I, I watch your show, I watch other people's shows, I read other people, you know, so there were people who were negative going into the year, that became positive, That people who became positive were negative, they've all been wrong. So everybody should just take a step back, take a breath and just say the data currently says there's no recession and we'll see what happens.
3: So, Steve, you mentioned that the banks are uninvestable. You've said that routinely now for the last few months. They've acted horribly as, as a group. Um, we would all agree that they're not all created equal. Um, uh, you know, there was an article yesterday in Bloomberg that really
0: caught my eye and a lot of other people. Let me about, guess. Bank of America. You got yes.
3: it. A's wrong way, rate blunder. By the way, in my world, bar- that's old news. Right. No. I, well, that's the thing. We've been talking. You watch our show. We've been talking about the relative underperformance. Karen has a bank that she likes an awful lot. Um, and this one acts. Which
5: horribly. one is that? JP Morgan. Okay. Okay. So, so you don't watch the- that much, then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it was. No, be- I mean, the whole, my whole. It, I, I have a joke where I say if I was still a sell side analyst covering just banks, mm-hmm. I literally would write the same thing every single day. Banks are uninvestable, but if you have to buy a bank, buy JP Morgan, call me in a year.
3: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So going back to your you know discussion about value traps and you know death wishes to the short side, I, I mean when you think about Bank of America, can they work their way out of this blunder? Does it become investable at some point? It's getting really cheap, and if you think about what they did, if they can hold on, if they don't have a draw on deposits, well, they,
0: they will. Let's not get people crazy. Yeah. This is not Silicon Valley. Um, the only reason why, the reason why Silicon Valley happened was because they had a much bigger problem in terms of the math than Bank of America, and. Their depositors were all venture capitalists, pulled their money, so they had to sell their bonds. Bank of America, I don't lose any sleep worrying about Bank of America, believe me. Would I buy Bank of America today? I wouldn't because it has an earnings problem. It's an earnings problem. It's not a capital problem. It's not a, it's not a solvency problem. It's a question of what, would you, what do you want to pay for a bank that has net interest margins problems? And it's gonna have them for quite a while. I mean, you know, when you have a $700 billion portfolio that's underwater, it's a problem. It's not a disaster.
2: Small business hires, I think, almost 65 70% of the people in this country. The, basically, the lifeblood of small business are re, small and regional banks. If credit conditions tighten, regulation, a myriad of different things, how important is that whole set of circumstances to the economy?
0: Well, they're already tightening because they're losing deposits. You know, I had a, a small, small thesis earlier in the year that when Silicon Valley happened, this would really slow the economy. It hasn't, i um, not exactly sure why, but there's a lot of fiscal stimulus. It seems like people who are in business can still get loans. So yeah, on the margin it's restricted, but it doesn't, at least at this point, it doesn't seem to be having an impact. And i would be the first one to say I'm surprised by that.
1: Steve, you, you had mentioned before that, you know, shorting stocks just because they're expensive is a death wish. And I'm wondering, you know, your comments on recession, I think, are, are really spot-on because there have been so many people who have been dogmatic in their view that a recession was going to happen this year, and that has caused them to miss move higher in equities. Right. So, I mean, is, is there sort of a parallel, you know, trying to call a recession, trying to basically short the economy, is also like a death wish?
0: It's not a death wish. It's like, it's, you know, in our business... Being early or too early is the equivalent of being wrong. The question is, how early? So if you're a year too early, you're wrong. If you're six months too early, you're wrong. If you're a month too early, you're a genius. So it's a question of timing. You know, what I would say to anybody who's trying to predict a recession is, okay, I get your thesis, but now why don't we just wait for a data point that indicates that it's happening before anybody starts to make such a major call about it?
5: So last time we were here, you were pretty positive on infrastructure. I still am. Do you think, okay, I want to know if you still are. Do you think the move in rates has dampened the infrastructure demand? Do you think it'll happen anyway? Because Oh, I on- think it happens
0: anyway. I mean, it's $1.2 trillion that the United States government's going to spend. It's not going to really matter what interest rates are. So that doesn't mean that there aren't parts of the infrastructure or greenification story that aren't impacted, like residential solar is definitely impacted because, yes, you could get a tax break, but if you're going to be paying triple monthly what you were going to pay two years ago, you may not put a solar panel on your house. So, you know, solar was considered a growth industry and now volumes are negative, which I think is shocked the hell out of everybody who invests in residential solar. I, mean, I think there'll be a time where that'll come back. That's in, that's not uninvestable. It's investable. It's just a question of when. I think it's a little early. right now. So, so
4: Steve, we, we talked about at the top of the show, wages are actually sticky. Wages have gone up. So. Can we make the connection that consumer stocks that you don't need to finance for are probably going to be stronger going forward?
0: Sort of counterintuitive. Oh, I understand you it could mean reallocation of money. Exactly. Possible. Yeah. That's definitely about me. I mean, look, you, when you buy stuff on Amazon, you generally don't finance it. Right. You finance it on your credit card, and that's, that's fine because you tend to pay it off pretty quickly. But um, anything that has any financing duration is a problem.
1: How are you feeling about the big cap tech stocks, the so-called Magnificent Seven? Are you long any of them?
0: Like everybody else, I am. Um, okay. I don't know if I have any more insight into them than anybody else, and probably I'd probably be humble enough to say I don't have any more insight into them than anybody else. But you, you know, own clearly, them when you have to. It's not that I don't own them because I have to. I own I mean, them because you're, I want you're, to. Your benchmark,
1: benchmark. If your
0: benchmark. I mean, if it isn't so SMT. much the benchmark. It's where all the. It's where all the um, dynamism is going to be in the economy for a long time. You know, Newberger, we had um, the CEO of NVIDIA in last week. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a CEO so, let me put it in the right terms, calmly confident mm-hmm. in my entire life. I've never mm-hmm. seen anyone so completely relaxed and so confident about their prospects in my entire career.
1: Convincing then. Yeah. Okay. Steve, we hope you'll come back soon. But,
0: Thank well, you. Well, Before we let
2: Steve go, yes. he mentioned genius. Mm. I don't know who your stylist is, but he or she
0: is a genius, because that jacket with the brown, fantastic. (laughs) Uh, You can thank my wife. She forced me to buy it. Well, thank (laughs) you, Thank Thank you, Valerie. Valerie. Thank you, Valerie. You're a lucky man.
1: Steve, thank you. you. Valerie, (laughs) thank you as well (laughs) for
3: the good pick. Um, what do you think? Well, it's interesting. You know, we haven't even mentioned enterprise spending. OK, so if Paul Tudor Jones is correct, and at some point early next year, we are in a recession, that's the next shoe to drop. And when you talk about this so-called, I like how you do that, Magnificent Seven, they're going to be the ones that actually lead to the downside because they've done all the cuts, right? They've made their business really efficient. They refinance their debt. They're getting paid 5% on all that cash. They do have and, debt. Well, on a <laughs> net basis, but, uh, but, but under, like, they refinance debt. You know what I mean? Um, my my and, biggest takeaway was the guy with the big short claim
4: to fame told you you're probably too negative.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, but, but, but I guess my point is, is that I, I, I think they lead to the downside because markets and investors are going to sniff it out like that. We haven't talked about a decrease in, in enterprise spending, and that will be one of the things that gets hit when it becomes very clear that we are seeing weakening economic data.
5: Well, that could happen. But I just want to say if it's a balance sheet thing, that I'm is where no, you Karen, want to hide. But you say, just,
3: I'm saying that's why the money's going there right now, because uh-huh. I think a lot of folks feel that when it was a drag on these companies' valuation because they had $50, $100 billion in cash earning nothing, right, in treasuries, right, that Brian Moynihan was buying lots of, okay, the, these folks were refinancing, and then they're still earning billions of dollars a quarter, you know what I mean? And now they're earning an interest on that. I
5: agree with you on one thing, though, if I could just said that the math of the buybacks no longer works. When the Correct. cash makes five and the earnings are north of 20, it doesn't work the same way.
2: Yeah. Math. No, it's interesting. You know, you hear Steve he's, he's very pragmatic, but then you listen to Paul Jones on the network today. I mean, some of the comments. Then you listen to Marco on our show a couple weeks ago. There are people that are extraordinarily bullish and there are people on the flip side of that coin. I don't think we've been doing this show a long time. I mean, people are dug in on both sides, and you can make a cogent argument for both sides at this point.
1: I also heard from Steve Eisman that he likes NVIDIA. He didn't say yes.
4: it. Yeah. That's I what I heard. Up 213% year-to-date, and everyone talks about pixie dusk, dust. I always say dust. Mm-hmm. Pixie dust. But these are the companies that are actually monetizing AI. Everything else... Is sort of a wish scheme but they're actually making i think this year 20 billion on ai
3: have you got every day there's a new story about one of their customers okay who's buying those h100 chips who are actually developing competing chips, their own chips. I'm just saying, for now, but hold on, Mel. I want to say one other thing, okay? So so Jensen Wang walked into Newberger Berman, I guarantee you, before the Metaverse, before Data Center, before crypto mining, it was very calmly optimistic. I'm just saying, he's a genius CEO. He's been in front of a lot of these big trends. This one feels like the big one right now, but it has happened before. That it hasn't, stock it hasn't sold taken, off 75% yes. after the big Metaverse push in 2020. Yeah, I'm just saying. Right now, again. they have 85% of the
4: AI market market yes they it's theirs to lose you always point that out it's a great point right now they're the ones that are monetizing right, and if the there's no the commercialized products
3: in the next year for these where companies are meaningfully making like earnings you know, we gotta pay some, to some bills, bills. now
4: thank <laughs> you guy you're
3: welcome
1: yes coming up a pepsi pop good discussion though Shares of the Soda Maker bubbling after its report this morning. The numbers and commentary that had investors all caffeinated, that's next. And some fast movers catching our traders' eyes from banks to bumpers. Why these stocks should be on your radar. Don't go anywhere. Fast money's back into. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Pepsi popping after earnings beat. The beverage giant also raising its full-year outlook. Contrary to Walmart's commentary on a dip in snack sales, Pepsi's CFO saying they are not seeing any impact yet from the popularity of weight loss drugs. That was a big sigh of relief for these staples names. Um, Steve?
4: Well, I think that you're not going to see it right off the bat, right? And, and what, are they, what have they been seeing? People are trying to get healthier, eating less sugar, less salt, so they want smaller portions. Smaller portions, I immediately go to a higher margin. So I think this is actually a tailwind for them, but I'm not sure how long the diet drugs are going to take to have an impact on their business, because it will be coming.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, They're raising their prices again. They raised their forecast three times. I mean, that is really good news. When we, we thought that the consumer was going to be pushing back. How much, as we said this before, time and time again, how much are you going to pay for a bag of Doritos? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, zero, but I,
5: I well, get yes, that people yes, like yes, it. Yeah. But, no, I think what they do is, well, you know, Pepsi has said, well, our costs have gone up, so we're passing along yeah. you're increasing our prices their costs, the raw material costs are not the entire cost of making them. So if they have 5% increased cost and put on a 5% higher ticket price, that's a bigger margin. And so if they're, I don't know how long until the consumer finally says, I got to switch to a generic kind of what's the yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, whoever a store brand or Kroger's brand, I don't know. Um, I mean, good for them. I'm sort of surprised they weren't seeing the same thing. Walmart is Pepsi's biggest customer I'm surprised they had two different takes on it, but it's not crazy expensive here. But I'm not inclined to jump in right now.
3: It seems like a lot of these retailers, in in particular, from the shrinkage to the you know GLP ones, they're throwing everything at this thing. You know what I mean? Like whatever the weakness is, again, like 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 literally, the excuses are piling up a little bit. And when you tell me that the makers of these sorts of foods are not seeing the thing that the seller of these sorts of foods, and I don't even think a Walmart customer is in the market right now for you know these sorts of drugs. Anyway, um so I think we're really early on all this and what it brings me back to is that there is something going on with the consumer and it's it's being evident. Look at the travel stocks, look all over the place. I mean there's stuff there's there's evidence if you want to see it. And so we can say, you know, I guess because they have jobs and because wage growth is healthy, but there does seem to be a pullback. We haven't seen the the
4: clothing stocks go up. If there's weight loss, people are buying new clothes. So how come the same thing is not, we're gonna be eating a lot less calories, right? Morgan Stanley put out a piece that there's gonna be 9% of the population is gonna be on the weight loss drugs. We're gonna be having it by 2030. How come we haven't seen, so everyone expects the food industry to get hit, how come we haven't seen the clothing industry about everyone buying I'll, new I'll clothes? I'll tell you why.
3: Because they're discounting pretty heavily right now. And, the, and look at where all these um, department stores are. They're all at 52-week lows. So if they're discounting heavily, that's weighing on their margins, which is why they stocks are going down. But now someone should be down.
4: buying their clothes, right? That's a, that's a trough, right? So you're, you, somebody should be buying it, right? There's a, all I'm saying is the pendulum swings both sides, right? So if you're going to be eating less food, then you've got to be buying more jeans, right? I still
2: have the jeans from high school. <laughs>
4: and no, I'm not even kidding around. And they still fit. You just wear them a lot lower. They still fit. It's
1: <laughs> really TMI.
2: 162. I mean, we talked about this last night with Tim. That was a low in June of 22. We held it. it. gives you something to trade again for Pepsi against, at least.
1: Coming up, two stocks moving in very different directions today. What had Rivian revving up and Netflix streaming lower, plus a handbag holdup for one luxury behemoth? LVMH missing sales estimates for its latest quarter. So is this a sign that even the high-end consumer has lost his or her footing? You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq Market site in Times Square. Back right after this.
4: Every day, thousands
1: of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi. Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at comcastcorporation.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks climbing for a third day as Treasury yields decline. The Dow jumping 134 points. The S&P and Nasdaq both up half a percent. Energy, the only sector to close in the red. Some single stock moves that caught our attention today. Shares of Rivian revving up uh, after nearly 5% after UBS upgraded the name to a buy. Analysts saying that after the stock's post-capital raise sell-off, investors can now focus on improving fundamentals. Not every name in the green today. Netflix falling more than 3%. The stream are now down more than 15% over just the past month. And some after hours moves in the healthcare space. This just crossing here, shares of Novo Nordisk higher after saying it had stopped trials of its kidney treatment due to efficacy. It's actually the use of Ozempic to treat renal uh, impairment in diabetes patients. Shares of dialysis companies like Davida and Fresnius now down sharply in the after hours on the back of this. Um, it, it is amazing all the things they're studying, semaglutides for use in Karen, and, mm-hmm. and this is
5: just the latest one. It is amazing how many things it touches. So obviously, something like this, if you have kidney improvement, then mm-hmm. uh, so obviously it's bad for them. But just so many parts of the economy. We're talking about clothing. You know, that's kind of amazing that this is just a tsunami coming of change for. I don't know how many people. That's the big question, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, Millions. but we've we've Millions. seen the impact mm-hmm. on on this, on any sort of diabetes mm-hmm. instrument, monitoring systems, mm-hmm. lap band surgeries. You don't need procedures anymore. I mean, the list goes on and on We had on a conversation
2: here. about Weight Watchers. I mean, a myriad of different things. And then I'm sure Eli Lilly is higher. I think you yes. probably looked at it. Think about this stock a couple weeks ago. It went from, I think, 600 all-time high. was trading 535. It felt as if maybe that's it. The fever is broken. We're within an earshot now once again of an all-time high in the stock, which – makes sense, quite frankly. You know, you've seen sell-offs in this name a number of different times over the last few years of this magnitude. Each time it's been gobbled up, it's
3: happening now. I think they report on November 2nd. When we started reporting on, on these, and you uh, have obviously taken a, a strong interest in it, it's just kind of an interesting thing. It, it, it seems like a mega trend. I think that's, you, you kind of l- zone in on those sorts of things. When we started reporting on it, it started out as a $25 billion market, then a 50, 100, now we're hearing like 150. And the more that you hear about this sort of stuff, and you know, away from it, it's pretty fascinating. And to Guy's point about like a lily that really feels like it's about to make a new all-time high. I guess we were talking about Nvidia before. It really feels like the Nvidia of the rest of the market away from AI. Does that mean that you think that it's overvalued? Well, at some point it will. I mean, listen, we all looked at Pfizer and said, you know, Moderna and what they did during the pandemic with the shots and everything like that, and they round tripped those whole moves. At some point, it becomes digested in the forward outlook of this company from an economic standpoint or a financial standpoint, and then it just doesn't look interesting anymore. You start seeing the deceleration. Right, so when you when you look at, so to, so to
4: keep that analogy, right, NVIDIA had 85% of the market. Lilly sucked up all the oxygen in the room. Amgen is actually going to be working in this space. They're going to start to get some attention. That stock is only 3 per, up 3% year-to-date. Lilly's up 58%. If you've had the luxury of making that, the fortunate ability to make the profit in Lilly, switch gears, go to Amgen now.
1: Coming up, the lap of luxury isn't looking too comfortable. A big sales miss out of LVMH as high-end shoppers put the bags back on the shelf where they were seeing the weakness ahead. And China Tech on a tear, the KWEB ETF jumping as investors pile in. But can the group keep up the climb? We'll debate that when Fast Money returns.
0: Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. LVMH earnings providing some insight into the high-end consumer today. U.S. traded shares of the European luxury giant dropping after the company reported disappointing sales growth in the latest quarter. Shares had closed the day in Paris of 3%. Q3 revenues were weighed down by 14% drop in LVMH's wine and spirits division. That is the one business unit that saw a decline. Um, Karen, you're also pointing out Asia, which was
5: weak. Yes. Yeah, so there was a lot of not to like, really, mm-hmm. sadly, because I am long. So They talked about cognac being particularly terrible. I really don't know why, actually, both in the U.S. Globally. Globally. They also, this is sort of a funny line, I don't know how much it matters, a tiny bit of inventory in champagne and precious stones which I, I don't know. I just find that kind of amusing. So they didn't, um, it, it, it they weren't, they were kind of defensive. They didn't really give a, oh, everything's great. They didn't give a particular outlook one way or the other. They talked about um, travel was down. The Chinese consumer, not just in China, but with the Chinese consumer goes around the world. They spend more. And that's not happening as well. Europe's slowing a little. The United States wasn't quite as good. So there was really a, a lot to not really love the only thing i really do love about it is the enduring brands and the valuation so this stock at 20 times is 20 times earnings has not been this low in a very long time the business has grown a lot they are they are in the pole position i also have a position in caring which doesn't have the same uh spirits exposure we'll see probably will trade down tomorrow a a fair amount but I'm sticking with it. Clearly, I should have sold it months ago, but I didn't. Um, if I owned none, what would I do? I would buy it today.
1: Do you, are you still in Capri?
4: I'm out of Capri on the, on the Tapestry buyout. And, and it, just, it just stayed static around the, around the low 50s. Mm-hmm. But, it, but if you think about Tapestry, Tapestry bought Capri and they're going to sell off Jimmy Choo and, and Versace. They bought it from Michael Kors. So eventually, they have that hidden gem and the asset piece in there. So when you see Tapestry fall off a cliff after the takeout of Capri, it seems to be a value buy. Unfortunately, it's done a nosedive, so it spooked a lot of people.
3: Out. Yeah, and I look at this, and it brings me back to this magnificent seven. And again, in the point we were making about multiple compression, if earnings estimates for the out year look too hot. Lot, listen, this, this company, LVMH, is only expected to have you know, mid to high single digits earnings growth. The stock is down 25% before they just reported this, right? And so the market had already sniffed this out. Investors had already sniffed out the slowdown. So let's see how the stock reacts to the news. Right. They didn't like you said, there's a a lot not to like in in this report. Visibility looks poor. Valuation came in. It's still above a market multiple, that sort of thing. I think this could happen to some of those much beloved names that is really keeping the market elevated right now. You
2: know what I love on NBC? Those the more, you know,
1: the more with the rainbow in the
2: the, star. It's fantastic.
1: Have you ever done one? I, know I was CQ. supposed to do one, and I was do sick that day,
2: actually. No kidding. Yeah, CQ's missed, done it. But, but I'm gonna, can I do a more you know here? Because we're coming into sort of gala season. <laughs> and a lot of people are looking.
5: Jimmy gala Ch- season. Jimmy you know Choo shoes, as
2: season. I've mentioned a number of times, it it might be a new small. audience. Responsible for your bunion. Very narrow. Very narrow <laughs> shoes. So if you have a wider foot, Jimmy Choo is not for you.
1: <laughs> I see the rainbow. The yeah. more you know. <laughs> Thank you. Coming up, the key witness in the prosecution of Sam Bankman Freed taking the stand today. Did the testimony end in heartbreak? A live report and the red, red hot details ahead. But first, the K-Web shooting higher. What was behind this move? And can it last? How the traders are playing this rally next. Chuckling in the background. Welcome back to Fast Money Time for the move of the day. The K-Web China Tech ETF surging 3.5%. It's at its highest level in over a month, though still in negative territory for the year. So notable winners in the ETF today, TAL Education, KE Holdings, each jumping more than 6%, with others like Weibo, Alibaba, Pinduoduo, all posting gains of 2%. There's a Bloomberg report today uh, saying that the Chinese government was looking to raise money to put together a new stimulus package, which could in turn help the economy.
4: And we've been waiting for the Chinese economy to get off its back for for a longer time. And the closer you get to that end, the more these stocks are going to run. Plus, you have the kicker of a lot of these names are tech. A lot of these names are growth. What happens when rates go down? you buy growth and you buy that further out looking stock. So I think it wins on both sides.
2: Yeah, if Tim were here, we'd talk about Alibaba. We have said 84-ish has been a level that it's held a number of times. It just did it again. So... Again, it's about risk reward and the setup into these trades. Alibaba against 84. In other words, you buy it here and you stop out below 84. The risk reward
3: is really good right now. Forget Alibaba. If our friend Deirdre Bosa was here, she'd Deirdre. be talking about PDD, Pinduoduo, yeah. which you just in mentioned. What, 12, you, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> they have this Temu app that's like destroying oh, it yeah. right yeah. now, and yeah. she's, been re- she's been she's been reporting on this. She kind of gave me a download on this whole thing, and it's kind of interesting when you think about you know a, a e-commerce app that's working here in America that's China With a hundred plus billion dollar market cap, you got to say this is on our sites here because our e commerce companies can't be over there. This is like easy pickings right now.
5: I just can't believe how cheap they sell things and I can't believe that business model works. Maybe
3: it's just a data collection thing. I mean, think about it. They are literally tying in American
5: consumers at a point where our e commerce. So, like, (laughs) like if they're coming
3: after uh, TikTok or whatever the thing is, they're coming after this thing.
1: Well, those sites specifically are going after. Walmart, they're going after Amazon, they're going after every single e-commerce platform out there. If they can sell $4.99 bathing suits- Pardon me? And consumers <laughs> are, are strapped for cash these days, they're going to buy the $4.99 bathing suit and not the $9.99 one from Target. Guy, you're looking at me like... No, because I... No, I mean, there's certain
2: things you don't skimp on. Bathing suits happen to be one of them for a myriad of different reasons. So if I got to pay 10 bucks and...
1: I'll pay 20. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate that. Coming up, Sam Bankman, Freed's ex-girlfriend, taking the stand on a pivotal day in the FTX trial. What she said and the crime she revealed next. And here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with the CarMax CEO. Catch the full interview, top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, more Fast Money into. Welcome back to Fast Money, the prosecution's key witness taking the stand today in the fraud trial against FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. Caroline Ellison was the highest-ranking executive in Bankman-Fried's inner circle, running a secretive crypto hedge fund, Alameda Research. She is also his ex-girlfriend. Our Kate Rooney has been closely following the story. She joins us live from Lower Manhattan. Kate
6: hey melissa so caroline ellison today painted a picture of sam bankman fried being extremely involved and aware she said of the financial strain on his hedge fund alameda and its use of ftx customer funds the prosecution coming out swinging today asking her right away did you commit financial crimes when you were running sam bankman frieds hedge fund she said yes then went on to say quote sam directed me to commit these crimes she described bankman freed also her ex-boyfriend wanting to make billions of dollars in investments through FTX Ventures today, she says Alameda behind the scenes was actually the one funding those investments with loans, but Bankman Free didn't want Alameda's name involved, so they actually called it FTX Ventures instead. First time we were hearing that. And then for accounting, guys, they used something you might have heard of NAV, net asset value. They used something called NAV minus Sam coins. That was a way to look at the value of this hedge fund without all of the cryptocurrencies Sam either invented or invested in. By that calculation, the value of Alameda, she said, was negative $2.7 billion. You might also remember Bankman-Fried acquired a 7% stake in Robinhood last year, Ellison saying today that those shares were initially paid for by Alameda, then they were transferred to another entity when they had to uh, disclose that to the SEC. She says that was because Sam Bankman-Fried wanted to be able to talk publicly about the Robinhood investment without it all being linked back to Alameda. This was just day one of her testimony. Ellison left the courthouse today, initially actually got in the wrong Uber or the wrong black car. Happens to the best of us, but she returns tomorrow again to testify. Back to you.
1: Imagine if she took that car. <laughs> the driver would be shocked. Uh, Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney, what a trial it's been so far. It's only day one. Bitcoin, meantime, has been pretty stable of late.
2: Hanging in, I don't think we talked about this at the time. It was never an indictment on Bitcoin. Right. It was an indictment on the alleged, I got to be careful here, right, fraud that was going on there.
1: Yeah. All right. Up next. <laughs> up next. Oh. Is it we had final time change. already? Yeah, at that time. Wow. <laughs> oh. Second, have a look at some of these uh, dialysis stocks. Davida is uh, down by more than 12%. Fresenius is also down by about 8%. This after Novo Nordis said its ozempic diabetes drug had met efficacy standards for renal impairment. This was a once-weekly injectable semaglutide kidney trial called FLOW. They expect the full readout in the first half of 2024. So we're seeing uh, that pop in Novo Nordis' shares up by 3%, uh, and uh, Eli Lilly is up by a little bit more than 1% at this point.
5: I know you have a lot, you know a lot about this space but what other trials are going on that we could see like something else out of nowhere we're stopping the trial like this Like this yeah
1: I mean there is a trial going on in Alzheimer's but it's very early stages um,
3: we it, saw it, how the it, stocks it, yeah. re- responded to that heart attack and stroke study. Select, remember that? The the, that's trial. when they broke out and made new yeah. new highs. Like Lilly and Novo were up like 10% like that.
1: Mm-hmm. We're going to get a sleep apnea trial readout in January. So, so the list is, is long here. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Steve. You know, I always believe
4: if you have a winner, stick with it. West Rock has been on its way up. It's my final trade again.
5: Karen Yeah, Netflix down twelve dollars today on a story that I think was out two days ago about some switching the ad executives because the ads are happening slower than they thought. So Netflix.
3: I would say if you have a loser and you're still confident <laughs> in it, double stick down. with it, TLT I was a little early and Steve Eisman told us early is wrong, but I'm gonna stick with it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, now Steve's gonna go home. So how happy is his wife gonna oh, be? Thrilling. That oh. jacket he was, was
1: wasn't that beautiful jacket? It was a very nice especially for fall.
2: Very autumnal. (laughs) Alibaba's autumnal as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for watching Fast Money. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.
4: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration,